Our interviewer has been a journalist for, 13 year, for the last 13 years, working in uh, various sectors and magazines and publications. Um, she is currently the editor-in-chief of The Beautiful Truth, Whoa. Uh, which... Um, is a magazine uh, about uh, purposeful work and business. It basically helps uh, businesses and individuals work out what their purpose beyond profit, how they can benefit the people, place, planet uh, around uh, them. Uh, and uh, she's also the mother of three amazing children who also happen to be my children as well. Um, uh, it is my fabulous wife, Hannah Finch. So. Thank you. What an introduction. Wow. Um, it's so wonderful to be with you all this morning. Um, so when I was 23, I moved from Vancouver, Canada to London, England for my first job at a magazine. It was super exciting. It was very fast paced. It was high pressure. And I, it was my first foray into the world of real work. Um, and it's fair to say I was pretty terrified a lot of the time. I was terrified of messing up at my job, but I was also a bit terrified someone might find out that I was a Christian. And, you know, I went along keeping that to myself for a while, but it became significantly more difficult when I got engaged to a soon-to-be vicar. <laughs> and I remember the first time one of my colleagues asked me what my fiance did, and I just panic answered that he was a photographer. <laughs> uh, which, in my defense, he did do a photography A-level. So I was like, he's pretty good at it. Um, but <laughs> it is, I think, I eventually did become more bold in my faith as time went on. I ended up inviting rounds of colleagues to Alpha. I invited colleagues to work. Um, and I did that because I realized that even if I didn't always know what my purpose in my job was, God has always put me in my jobs on purpose. And that purpose has always been the same. It's been to share Jesus with the people I'm working with. But being, being a Christian in the workplace can be challenging. I think sharing Jesus is one of many difficult things that we come across in the world of work. And that's why today I'm so excited, as John said, that we get to hear from three amazing members of our community who are going to share a bit about their professional journey and what it looks like being a Christian at work, how they integrate their faith um, and live their faith out day to day. So I'm going to introduce them, another introduction, and then we'll, we'll cheer them all up all at once. So we have Jay Pugh-Smith, who is, he's been a lawyer for 15 years in both the charity sector and the business world, and he's always had a thread of social justice running throughout his career. We've got Michael Kiwanuka, who's an award-winning recording artist. He's been professionally making music for more than a decade. And finally, we have the brilliant Caroline Santer, who has a 30-year career in teaching as well as church leadership. She's currently the deputy head of the King School here in Southampton. So please put together your hands and invite them all up. Woot, woot. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks, guys, so much for coming up. Welcome. I'll give you a chance to grab your mics. Um, 
so we're, we're going to kind of have a chat today. I'm going to interview each of them, but there might be some jumping in. We just think it's so valuable to hear personal stories of actually how does this work out in the real world. You know, we've, we've talked about the theology of work. We've talked about being the chaplain of your workplace. How do all of these guys in, in different sectors, different industries work it out? So, Jay, I'm going to start with you. You, hello. Hi. <laughs> it can only get more interesting from here, starting with the law. So. <laughs> we'll start with the law. So, you've been in, you were in commercial law for four years. You graduated uni, were a commercial lawyer, and then God called you into something else. Can you tell us a little bit about what that looked like to be heading one direction and then hear God call you a different direction? Yeah, sure. Um, it started with my mother-in-law, a bit of an inauspicious start, but um, uh, she gave me a book. It was called Good News About Injustice by a man called Gary Haugen, who founded um, a wonderful organization called International Justice Mission. Um, and the sort of scales fell from my eyes, really, about God's call to justice. Um, and, and that started a journey. So I was uh, part of a men's group, we sort of met to pray and uh, eat and share food and, and a kind of accountability group just out of university. Um, and it seemed to be a sort of individual but collective thing about the same time. God, God just put this issue of modern slavery on our hearts and injustice. Um, and we, I'd say we were diverse, we're not really diverse, we were all um, white, uh, Caucasian professionals, um, but diverse in terms of what God had called us to in different professions. Um, and it was an amazing journey to, to start on together. Um, and I think really the body of Christ in action, we were doing different things, coming together with different ideas. And we ended up sort of writing this Jerry Maguire paper on the state of the nation and how Wilberforce 200 years prior had abolished the slave trade in the North Atlantic. And, uh, and we wrote this paper, and I'll come back to that in a second, but that was the start of the journey. Um, and then I got to know the charity IJM a bit more. Um, I ran the London Marathon for them and kind of thought, well, I'll just keep it safe in the corner and it won't interrupt my day job. Um, and it just sort of nagged away and it kept being dropped into conversation. Oh, you know, could you, uh, could you volunteer? And, and, um, and I, we do, I was a lawyer in, in the city at the time. My wife was a, a teacher. Um, and the great financial crisis had just started. Um, and so my parents were very much like, you know, it's great, you've got a job, keep it, stay safe, you've got a family now. Um, and I decided to say no to all that um, and had one of the biggest Barneys with my father that I've ever had. Wasn't my finest moment. Um, call yourself a Christian, that kind of stuff. He's a great Christian. Um, <laughs> uh, but... Um, I just, something rose up from deep within me and that whole sense of justice and, and a kind of righteous anger for injustice. Um, and so actually it felt like quite a natural thing to then step out. Um, and I'm a big believer, don't burn your bridges. Um, the law firm that I was working for, I basically had to stop full time, but they did say come back afterwards. And I was like, no, no, I think this is me now, I'm done. Um, and we, we were posted to India, to Calcutta. Um, and I think it's always important to say, whenever someone's up on stage, I think we edit out the highlight package. And 
it's never really linear in truth. I think it was an HSBC advert ages ago, and it was just a lamp on a lampstand, and it said, it's amazing how many all-nighters it takes to be an overnight success. Um, and, I, and so, yeah, so we quit our jobs, went to live with my parents, ironically, um, and, uh, and we were waiting. Our visas just never came through for India, and we were like, Lord, hang on, we gave up our jobs. What's this all about? Um, and after three months, nothing came through and we pulled every string we could. Um, so we just said to IGM, look, we're, we're going, like, send us anywhere. And it was amazing. He sent us to the Philippines. We were on a plane four days later. Um, and I worked with the legal team there. We had amazing, we rescued 116 people from slavery while we were there, um, secured life sentences against the perpetrators. Um, and... It was an incredible time of literally just saying, here I am, use me. I had no human rights experience. Um, but I found myself speaking to a whole load of counsellors from across the Philippines. And they said, oh, it's in the National Auditorium and it's just a small thing. And it was literally 300 of them. And I'd only ever addressed sort of... Um, about three or four people. So um, <laughs> it was a knee-knocking moment um, where with the president of the Philippines to amend their law. Um, and again, it wasn't so much me being great. It was just that, here I am, Lord, use me, and found myself in all sorts of crazy situations. I mean, I think, obviously, what, a, what an amazing journey. And I think my favorite part of that story is that when your visa didn't come through, your parents said, you're crazy logical person would be like, well, clearly this isn't the right decision. I've maybe misheard God or whatever. Can you just talk to us? Because I think a lot of us probably have had a moment like that where you maybe feel called into something and sometimes it seems like everything's going wrong towards that calling. What was it? What did God say to you? Or what was that moment when you were like, actually, I'm going to persevere through these fairly major roadblocks to, to follow what I feel like God's calling me to do? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I'm quite analog, you guys are digital with your <laughs> iPad, but I love to journal. And I think it's ingraining those day-to-day -day habits. Um, and I think I didn't just do it on the, the flick of a switch. It was, you know, years of reading the Bible, drawing in, hearing his voice, um, and then standing on his promises. I think they're great. I love a good catchphrase, but... I can't remember who said it, but God always pays for what he orders. And so I knew that when he'd called us to the Philippines, to this uh, stint away, where we'd given up our jobs, we had no income, that he was faithful to the end. And I think that is so key. It's very rarely linear for us in, in our path. We twist and turn um, and we make good decisions and bad decisions. But I think sailing a boat is quite like our life in Christ and ideally you don't do a big tack it's just little taps to the tiller and I think you can only do that if you're constantly in contact with the Lord so the amazing talks that we've had this season of, of getting into the dwelling place seeking him I think that's really the, the central thread through it all for me so good Jay um, and I think then, so you said you then you came back to the UK, you came back into the professional world, but you still felt that tug on your heart. And, and that can be hard sometimes too. I've definitely experienced that where I've been like, I want to do this professionally, but I also feel like God is calling me to this other string of justice, whatever it might be. And you clearly felt that strong pull of justice. You talk about the Modern Slavery Act. Um, this is, I mean, it's really amazing. I, I think Jay was a key part of writing the Modern Slavery Act, which is 
helping, I mean, you'll be able to explain it a lot better. I might stop my attempt of explaining it just there. But Jay, can you tell us a little bit about that? And how is it like when you came back that you weren't just like, well, I've gone and done my like gap year for God and I'm back now because we're about so much more than that. We're about bringing it into our whole life and tell us about how that worked for you. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think two things that set the scene for that were the first one was when we were coming back from the Philippines or the decision, we were offered to um, lead a field office in Kenya for IJM. And we just didn't feel it was right. And the apostles' call is obviously go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And our Jerusalem was London. And we felt that we were called back to London. And the other thing is, he said, um, always remain available. And I think another thing about a calling is sometimes it always feels like it's got to be dramatic and it's got to be a sort of Damascus Road thing. And quite often there are periods of inaction and waiting and patience. So we came back to the UK and I was waiting for the lightning bolt moment and all these doors to fling open and nothing happened. Um, I ended up going back to my old role in the, in the city and thought, oh great, I'm selling out. Um, isn't this awesome? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, and, but it was a moment, it was, uh, God was working and that Jerry Maguire paper had been submitted to what was called the Centre for Social Justice. Um, the Centre for Social Justice was a centre-right think tank and they issued a report called It Happens Here, had 80 recommendations. One of those was a consolidating act because there was no way you could prosecute perpetrators of modern slavery. It was a myriad of different um, laws. Um, and so at the time, Theresa May was the Home Secretary um, and there was another brilliant MP called Frank Field. Um, and we just worked with them. I wasn't really that central to the Modern Slavery Act. Um, it is amazing. For the purposes of this talk, you solely wrote it, Jay. So. Oh, perfect, perfect, <laughs> perfect. I've heard a lot of people claim that they did. It's quite funny, um, but I definitely didn't know. I think... We're all the body of Christ, and it's amazing what can be done in unity, but it does take the whole body of Christ. And so I was like the little pinky, probably, not even that. Um, and it was just amazing, the divine appointments. So, you know, we would be walking down the road, and one of us in our group would have run into Ed Balls. He was the just, justice, shadow justice secretary at the time, and just had a conversation, and then it turns out that that day they were meeting the House of Commons to debate it. So there were all these amazing divine appointments that happened um, along the way um, to help us steer and build a groundswell of support. And I think Wilberforce said it's a rising tide that lifts all the ships. And so it wasn't really Wilberforce that abolished the modern uh, North Atlantic slave trade. There was a group of guys at that time, the Clapham sect, and there was also a societal intolerance. And I think, again, um, we often think, oh, our call's got to be dramatic and we've got to really sort of change the world. And a lot of what we see on social media and everything else is sensationalised. But actually, as um, Mother Teresa once said, it's doing small things with great love. And I think that's it, really. I mean, there was no magic source other than I said every day, Lord, here I am, use me. Um, that's so, that's brilliant. That's one of my all-time favorite quotes, Mother Teresa. Absolutely love that. Um, I'd love, I'd love, I'm going to keep talking to you, Jay, but we're going we're gonna to move around a bit. We're going to all talk to one another. So Mike, you, very different, very different um, work to Jay. You're creative. You work outside the nine to five. 
Um, I think it's, sometimes it can be really hard. A lot of us have experienced working from home and how hard it can be to like stay on track. And you're not only working from home, but you're like creating something from nothing. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about how you bring God into your creative process? Oh yeah, um, big, big question. <laughs> I, think, um, I think I'm still, still like learning that one, but I think when I, I usually see it in hindsight. Uh, at the time, you, you think you're like sort of either, you're either panicking that you've got no ideas or you're like, you've got a big head because you think you've got a good one. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're in that, that sort of thing and it's up and down. Um, but then always when I look back, I always see that he always gives me the songs that uh, keep me going, uh, whether it be career-wise or just continuing to pursue music are the ones he's given me. So uh, cre creatively, sometimes you, you sort of like can sit there and try and like, you know, fix a song together with like brute force. And that's, that's one way. Uh, but the special ones sort of just appear and they sort of just flow out. And, um, and those are always the ones that, other than one, but those are always the ones that <laughs> uh, sort of push the needle for me. And so in hindsight, I always think that he gave, gave me that. And maybe an example uh, is easier to describe it, but there was a time when I was making my first album. So I've made three, and we were actually on the Isle of Wight before moving to, moving to Southampton years ago. Uh, and it was a cool little studio, but I'd run out of songs. And um, it, it happens quite a lot, but at that time, I would send a lot of demos in and everyone the, the record labels and stuff would be like, this isn't that good. <laughs> Essentially, in sometimes quite not nicer way than that. Uh, and, um, and actually one time, the producer at the time, a guy called Paul, really amazing uh, musician, he was super creative, but the thing with like super creative people, they get bored really quickly. So, because they're just like thinking ahead. So he was just really bored because all the stuff I had was sort of quite boring. So uh, I think he actually went out and got a tent for this festival called Bestival. He actually left the studio. I was like, where's Paul? He's supposed to be producing the album. And his girlfriend at the time was like, I was going to buy a tent. I thought, that's great. It's just here. And then uh, I remember going upstairs, sort of panicking, and um, put, put, uh, just put YouTube on or something. And I just made the song out of desperation. Thinking, I have to have something that uh, doesn't bore Paul. And, you know... <laughs> <laughs> Literally. So I made this tune and, uh, and I remember coming downstairs and playing it to Paul and the assistant John at the time and I could see in their face, they were like, oh, this is all right. And in my head, I'm like, thank God. And then we went down to the studio, but, but the, the most amazing thing started to happen. We started to record and then everything we did, like, let's try the bass. It sounded amazing. Or let's try this. And everything worked without, like, with just minimal effort. And obviously in my head, I'm still thinking like, thank God. But, but then we finished it and um, there was even a point where um, Paul didn't think it would work and out of sheer desperation, I said it would. Just try this, I blagged this thing and just try running up the scale with a violin and it will work. And I didn't think it would necessarily, but we had to do something and it really sounded good. Uh, and obviously I took that and said, I knew it, but I didn't. <laughs> and anyway, long story short, that finished and um, I actually had an album that was scrapped and then uh, and we'd, I stopped, stopped working with Paul, made another album, wasn't good enough. And then Paul had sent this song that I desperately made upstairs 
to the record label without us knowing because he was sort of thought it was good and thought last chance saloon and i remember getting an email back i'd forgotten about this song and it, you know and it was all the a and r's and managers being like this song's amazing when did you do this and that never happened uh i thought what song are they talking about and i pressed play and it was that one and that sort of moved things going you know and there's so many stories like that where it was definitely god coming in and uh, giving me something to say and 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 musically and 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 lyrically i remember writing it was really it's me singing about my faith and wanting to find some sort of hope in him uh so it was all or or for him to help me in that time so i just so in hindsight you know yeah. i just felt he he opened the door you know with minimal effort from me yeah. uh, and he just literally orchestrated the whole situation and but I have so many stories like that. I could, be, could go on for hours, but yeah. That's I okay, love so. that. That's <laughs> yeah. So um, the question we're all dying to know, Mike, is what yeah. song is that? Oh, it's a song, uh, <laughs> it's a song called uh, Tell Me A Tale, which is on the first album. Less, less, it's not as known, that album, but Tell Me A Tale is, uh, was, uh, was on the first album. And, oh, I, yeah. I know it. I know yeah, it. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go <laughs> re-listen you. to it now that I know that story. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, I, I love that. I do think so often it is, it can sometimes be those arrow prayers, you know, yeah. especially at work. I've definitely experienced that at work when you're like panicking because of X, Y, Z. Yeah. And actually God doesn't, isn't bothered if yeah. we're just like, I really need you right yeah. now in this moment. He's like, he's, he's there. Mm -hmm. um, so that's awesome. I'd love to know you, you released your first album in your early 20s. Yeah. And you're not in your early 20s anymore. No, um, not. <laughs> and how? Not, yeah. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about your journey of being a Christian in the music yeah. industry and how that's evolved over the last yeah. however many years? Yeah, uh, I think I could definitely relate with what you said um, um, at the beginning. But it, it's been really up and down, um, and like difficult. The first, the first year of just recording I was you know when I first started the job I was going to church a lot and I'd say quite strong in my faith um but then you know the album came out and and I was traveling everywhere you know uh all across the world which was amazing seeing places life was like literally jet set it was exciting uh going to America for the first time New Zealand Australia all these cool places and meeting people and people like liking your music and meeting like uh, singers that you listen to as a teenager and they're like there on the same plane or backstage and or they come to your show and it's like oh my word uh, and but that was all cool but then I sort of lost my way a bit um, just trying to, I don't know really what happened other than just it was trying to fit in and being scared about telling these people that actually I'm a Christian and he made all the songs not me <laughs> and uh, I just thought everyone would just stop listening to my music there would be no producers that would work with me and that they'll just all stop you know because in school it was always the uncool thing and you know rock and roll stars you know Keith Richards didn't go to church on Sundays or like you know all of these things it wasn't cool um, and I wanted to be cool uh, but what happened was well in trying to be cool I just really toured so much on the first album I felt very 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 lost uh, and I was a bit sad, you know. And then I came back, and I was living in Kentish Town. Uh, and where I met guys, you? Where we, yeah, where, where we you met your met. wife? <laughs> where I met my wife, Charlotte. And, uh, and um, I was living with my friend Hugh at the time, and I think there was a year where it was just boxes. I was never there. And I came back sort of burnt out, 
And I, we actually lived under a vicarage. Um, and the story of that was Hugh, my friend, just wanted to move uh, to go to the church we went to. Um, I didn't care about the church. I just thought it's cheaper rent. And Hugh will sort everything out. So I was like, yeah, let's do that, whatever, man. I'm off, I'll see you. And we went. And when I came back after a year and a half of just traveling, you know, I noticed, I said, like, oh, yeah, church. You know, I used to love going there. And um, there was always barbecues, like uh, midweek meetings and like socials, and everyone just seemed so happy. And I wasn't that happy. And so I was like, oh, man, this is, what's this? You know, and I'd sort of come out the front door and, there was a good barbecue that they left outside our front door, so we'd always use it, and, and I'd go out and eat the burger and be like, hey, guys, and, and, the, and the office was right by the, uh, our flat. And so I started going to church again. You know, I thought, these guys are really happy, and, and it changed my whole life. You know, we met Charlotte, uh, met you guys, and, and I, haven't, I haven't looked back. I haven't been happier. And actually, after that, music without trying to, I stopped trying to be cool at the, on my good days. I still, still try sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, and God has blessed my music tenfold. Mm. But I've been able to have a, 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 an anchor where before I just had boxes, you know. Mm. It's difficult to describe with that sort of it, really, yeah. Oh, so I it's been ebbs and flows, but, um, and then, yeah, but it's been better now. <laughs> An anchor where you had boxes, I think, is a really awesome <laughs> yeah. description. Yeah. Um, that's, I think that's fantastic. I also love burgers as a means into oh, the church. Yeah. We're, we're big yeah. believers in that. Yeah. Um, that's so good. Well, thanks, Mike. No worries. Um, we'll, we'll come back around, but Caroline, you, I think, Mike, you just touched on something that a lot of us have experienced maybe in some level or another, which is burnout in a job, which... You know, you're going hard, especially if a job is a calling. Sometimes we can feel like we need to go really hard. Caroline, you've been in teaching 30 years, which is known for burning people out. I know loads of teachers. It's such hard work, such insanely valuable work. Juliet talked a bit about it last week. But I'd love you to start by just telling us about a time that you started to experience burnout and how, how you brought God into that, how you dealt with that. Yeah, no problem. There's a, there's a couple of situations, actually. I am that old. I've experienced it more than once. Um, yeah, I, I, I went into teaching because I really wanted to make a, a difference um, to children, to children's lives. So I trained as a secondary school teacher. Very nearly missed my vacation. I was incredibly shy as a child and going through school, all those careers talks, the, uh, you know, the person coming in always said to me, you should be a teacher. And uh, I couldn't tell them, I could never do that. I could never speak in front of anybody. I could feel my cheeks coming red. If anyone asked me a question in class, you know, I just hated being that person up front. But God definitely put something in my heart. And um, to cut a long story short, I ended up training as a teacher. Absolutely loved it. And um, had a few years out with my boys, which was amazing. So I trained as a teacher um, and then went back and partly financially. I needed to go back to work once my youngest hit school age. Um, but I'd gone along to a church meeting and um, a woman who was a Christian was taking on a, a school, a secondary school in the city. And um, I just really got caught up in, the, in her vision of what she wanted to achieve. And uh, at this particular school, they were having issues with some of our 
um, I guess, more challenging children in the city who came from very difficult backgrounds, a lot of them, and they, they came up with this initiative of running what they called a satellite, which was like an off-site people referral unit, but it was still linked with the school, and she needed people to help serve in that place. And I felt a real rise in my spirit. Um, I felt I wanted to connect in with that, wanted to serve in that. So I ended up working um, for this school and was posted at this satellite unit, which was... To be honest, quite a baptism of fire. You know, I've lived in Southampton 36 um, years now, um, and I was aware of <clears throat> deprivation in the city. I was aware of children in need. I was aware of you know some of the difficult things going on. I'd already taught in one previous secondary school, but the kids that we started getting through our door. Um, um, just to give you a few examples, we, we had a child that could only manage at the age of 11 an hour of education at a time because he was so addicted to, to nicotine that he got the shakes and couldn't um, stay in a, in, a, in a class longer. Um, and when I asked him naively, well, how did you get into smoking? He said, oh, my, my parents went away when I was five, left him, he couldn't even remember where, and came back with a box of cigarettes as his present. Um, you know, so we, we had children that had... Um, many of them no role models at home. Um, uh, some of their parents were, one of them, you know, mum was a prostitute, the dad was the, the pimp on the estate, no boundaries, you know. So it, it was a really difficult environment of these children who kind of in many ways society had rejected, were unlovable, but God gave me a real, he really broke my heart for these kids and I really wanted to do what I could to get them a few GCSEs and support them and love them and nurture them. And, you know, as far as I knew, perhaps I was the only person praying for them. So day in, day out, um, I served in this, this job. We used to get teachers trekking down from the school that it was kind of the, the short straw. They always hated being sent down because these were really challenging kids. And, you know, we had fights every day. We had the PCSOs round. Um, if, the, if the kids weren't kicking off, the parents would come round and incite a fight. So it was, it was quite a difficult place to be. Um, and although I never experienced any kind of violence or aggression myself you know you could walk into a classroom and if the kids were kicking off or having a fight or lobbing something across the classroom if you were caught in the crossfire and your head caught a hole punch you know you could be that person so um I felt really called into that role but after about four and a half years I guess it took its toll um I felt really exhausted um, and I did feel God beginning to kind of prompt me about, about leading, leading me out and leaving. But at that time, we were going through a really difficult time financially. Um, the thought of leaving and going into something unknown or maybe not getting another job was a bit scary. But also I felt a real loyalty to these children. Um, you know, who was going to love them? Who was going to pray for them? Who was, who was going to get them through that next hurdle if I, if I wasn't there? Um, and actually, a, a friend of ours, he's got a prophetic ministry came and prayed for Mike and I one evening and he just said to me I really feel God's releasing you from your your job giving you permission to leave and I guess until that point I hadn't really felt that permission I think probably some misguided sense of my own importance <laughs> you know if I wasn't there it would all fall apart that these kids would have nothing the um, worried about the finances but I did probably overstay my welcome there for probably another six to nine months um, ended up being signed off sick because it just all got a, a little bit much. Um, but I think I learned quite a lot through that I experience in that, you know, just because I'd felt 
God's calling and it was undoubted his calling on my life for that season that that doesn't mean that you're held into something forever and a day you know I think often we kind of think of God's plan for our lives as a bit like a tightrope and if we veer to the left or the right we've somehow missed it but actually for me you know it's definitely a season to serve there interestingly after I left and not because I left but some time after they integrated the children back into mainstream which was the whole point anyway um but yeah it was a it was a really interesting time and God out of that time then um, opened a door for me at King's which is where I am now um, but yeah it, it was kind of hard to hear his voice in the midst of all of that for all sorts of reasons it's so I mean I think so often burnout does happen in a role where you're so emotionally invested and often Christians can end up in roles like that where you're like really giving of yourself emotionally and that's such an amazing calling and it's what Jesus did day in day out but you're right, it's, it's so important to, you know, listen and how amazing to get a prophetic word from someone. Um, really quickly, guys, I've asked each of these guys to share a verse and I just don't want to miss it out because I think the way God speaks to us is so personal and it's so often through the Bible. So could you, do you mind each, um, Jay, maybe we'll start with you, just each sharing a verse that God has really used to speak to you throughout your career, throughout your life. I can't really reduce it to one, and I'm not trying to have a halo here, but um, I think the Proverbs have been great. Um, I went through a season of reading a proverb every day, and there's such wisdom in there. Um, you know, all that iron sharpens iron. Um, you know, the, the Lord knows the desires of our heart, but he directs our steps. I think that's 16.9. Um, heresy, maybe, I don't know. We'll say. Anyway, over to you, Michael. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, uh, tough one for different reasons to you, as in I don't know loads of verses. But though, uh, in a serious note, it's like there is the, the like uh, great commission, make disciples. It's a new one for me because I think um, with music, it's quite insular. A lot of the time, it's about you. Um, but but I did, but um, but I have found in my work, uh, you meet so many people, you know, and you'd be surprised how, who we, who we follow in Jesus and his personality, even if you just do like 1% of that. And I'm, I'm not great, but even 1% in a day, you, you might meet um, a roadie and just say thanks. I think it changes the whole day, um, whether it's some of the likes of music, um, the way you conduct your touring party as it gets bigger, and treating everyone with respect and loving people, people can't believe it, you know. Uh, and then it makes way for more conversation. So, and then through that, hopefully, you're you're glorifying Him. So, that's a new one, but that's probably the verse now, and um, that's helped me in my job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess for me, my my role now as a deputy head. Um, the role is so far-reaching, you know, you go from safeguarding to managing curriculum to training new teachers to the ceilings falling down. Um, you know, one thing after another, exams, we entered the kids for the right exam, changing the law, changing curriculum, managing staff, managing pupils, managing parents, you know, it's, it's relentless. And um, at my time of life, um, trying to keep lots of things in my head can be quite quite a challenge, quite quite a juggle. And so a verse that's, that's really helped me that I've come back to time and time 
time again is from Proverbs where it talks about, you know, trust in the Lord, lean not on your own understanding, which is quite easy to do when you feel like you've got no understanding at all and a complete lack of wisdom at, at times, but just to know that actually, you know, I don't have to trust my own understanding. And, it, and then it goes on to say, in, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And, you know, for me, first and foremost, it's keeping Jesus up front and central in all that I am, all that I do in my thought life, in, um, you know, in my involvement, engagement with whichever people God puts in front of me. And then actually I can trust him to make my path straight, to show me the way I should go, to give me the wisdom for, the, for this situation. And I found that really helpful. Oh, guys, thank you so, so much. I found this personally really helpful. Can we give them a big round of applause to our appreciation? <laughs>